So tonight we wrap up our four-part study on our church strategy. So we've been we've been considering the last few weeks on how our strategy is the how. The the vision is the where we are headed. Our mission statement is our purpose. So the what is the purpose of Renewal Church and the strategy is the how. How are we going to go on purpose where God is leading us as a church? Because if you say, oh, we're going somewhere, but you haven't described how you're going to get there, you won't get very far. So that is our gospel-centered strategy. And we've been looking at the last few weeks how it really isn't our strategy. This this is not unique to just this one church plant. And I have spent time in God's presence and His Word and in prayer and Trying, trying to phrase it in a way that is simple and understandable and memorable for Renewal Church. But the reality is that these four points of our strategy is from the Word, and it describes how Jesus, our Master, our King, our Savior, our love, our everything, our hope, how He wants us to accomplish His mission for the praise of His name. So Renewal Church, our strategy is rooted in both the person and in the work of Jesus. So who He is and what He is about is what this church is going to be founded upon. And we've been looking at that from Acts chapter 2 the last few weeks. And so I won't read it again tonight. We've been reading it every week. But as you remember, that is the early church and it describes a transformed church that was on mission for Jesus. So Acts 2 is where we see our strategy. But it's also found in Matthew 28. So I do want to read that. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Oftentimes referred to as the Great Commission. So Matthew 28, if you're looking for it, 16 through 20. Now to the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Usually we start the Great Commission at verse 18, which is not a bad thing, but the two previous verses are part of that one paragraph. And 16 through 20, it's one unit. And what you see here is it all starts with worship. They see the resurrected Jesus and they respond with worship in verse 16. Now verse 17 does say that there were some that refused to believe. They did not They did not see the glory of Jesus. They doubted, thought it was a hoax, whatever it is. They believed the lies from the enemy and from the religious leaders of the day, and they did not believe. But those that God had chosen, those that were believers, they did believe and they did respond, it says, with worship. And then you see what we've read a bazillion times in the Baptist church, verses 18 through 20, which is oftentimes again called the Great Commission. But don't miss the fact that it starts with worship. Before you get to being sent out, it starts with being in awe of who Jesus is and having your heart gripped by Him and worship. 
So you see right there in your notes our gospel-centered strategy. And, and I was trying to make a table where you could see how it's in the early church, Acts 2, 42 through 47, but also here in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, you see both of them, what you're seeing is these exact same four points, which is why God led me to phrase our strategy in this way, it's rooted in the word. So you see in the early church, you see worship, and worship is the fuel for, but the end of the mission. So verse 43 of Acts 2 says that all can upon every soul. So we've seen in the last few weeks how this all is worship. That's what we're designed for, to be in awe of God, to respond with worship to Him. So you see that in Acts 2, you see it here, Matthew 28. How they saw him and they worshipped him. They were in awe of him. They bowed before him. And so you're seeing Acts 2. So what Jesus promised is now happening in Acts 2. You see community. So Acts 2 is all about community. So that, that they had fellowship and you've seen verse 44. And all who believed were together. And so they had community in the early church. But you see that already promised by Jesus and commanded and the Great Commission, he says, to baptize new believers. And so what is baptism? It is a picture of what? Of being made new. You were dead. You've been resurrected, made new in Jesus. And now you are part of his people, his community. Which is why most churches that are evangelical, that are gospel-centered, require baptism for church membership. Why? Because baptism is the external demonstration that you belong to the people of God, that you belong to Jesus. And so baptism is a foreshadowing of community that you then see lived out in Acts chapter 2. Next, we have growth. So Acts 2.42 says that they were devoted to what? To the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the word. Well, Jesus mentions that in Matthew 28. He says, teach new believers to obey. Teach them with what? The word. And so you see it commanded and promised in Matthew 28 and then lived out in Acts chapter 2. And then you see Acts 2.47. It says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved, which is influence for living on mission. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This promise and this commandment is then being lived out in Acts 2. So you see that this strategy, this is God's way. This is not anything that I came up with. I'm not that creative or honestly that foolish to try to plant and lead a church on my ideas. Like, you, that's, that's a cult. That's what that is. Because if you look at, well, what is a cult? Well, people that are following one very charismatic, and I don't mean like the church, you know, tradition, I'm, I'm talking about a very uh, boisterous, a very vibrant personality, a charismatic person who claims to be Jesus. And everyone follows that crazy person blindly. That is a cult. We don't follow one person. We follow Jesus. He is the one that we follow. We worship Him. And so your pastor is just one that's pointing you to Jesus. And if that ever stops being the case, then I should stop being your pastor because I have no business shepherding anyone unless he's just pointing to Jesus, and we follow Him together. And so we have our strategy, which is worship and community and growth and influence. And you see it in Acts 28, you see it lived out 
in Acts chapter 2. So to not rehash everything from the last three weeks, let's talk about this fourth component of our strategy, which is living on mission, so gospel-centered influence. So what we're looking at here tonight, as, as we're starting this, this conversation, this, this meditation on God's mission. So then you notice we have here the mission of God. Because God has one particular purpose. He has exactly one goal with everything that He does. And so if you want to summarize everything that God does, He is a God who is creating and then recreating, or, or creating and redeeming. And so everything God does in creation and in redemption has exactly one purpose. And so when we're talking about the mission of God, we're talking about God's purpose in the world. And as we've been looking at the last few weeks, it's described through a story. So God is telling a glorious story, a story of the world, and it it is majestic, and it includes you, and it includes me. And there are four key words that's there in your notes. Creation, fall, redemption, and then new creation. These four parts to four movements or four acts, if you will, to the story of God, the story of redemption, which shows the purpose and the mission of God. So it all began in Genesis 1 and 2, which is creation. And so God created the whole world, including you and me, to show his glory. He created humanity specifically so that we would see his glory. And so God's purpose is his glory. Like we can't miss that. God wasn't lonely. He was enjoying eternal fellowship within the Trinity, and He didn't create us because He needed us. He, he doesn't need us. He created us because He wanted to, and He wanted us to know Him and to love Him. And in this enjoying of His glory, it would then display Him as being eternally glorious and having eternal worth. And so he created us in his image so that we could display his glory. And we do that by enjoying his presence. It is all about the presence of God. This is why we exist. Our purpose is wrapped up in enjoying God's presence. It's about relationship. So even when he gives Adam the instructions to fill all the earth and to multiply, what you see is Adam's role is to lead all of humanity to know God, to, to see His glory, and then to respond with worship, which is a trusting Him and a treasuring of God, which then leads to a loving of God, so that His glory through His people would be displayed to all of creation. So this is God's purpose in creation, to display His glory. But, of course, we know that there was a fall. That's the second point here in the story of God. And so, creation, which is Genesis 1 and 2, there are your notes. And so, if you want to follow the Bible storyline, Genesis 1 and 2, just two chapters, shows creation and God's purpose in showing His glory through creation. The second one is fall, which is less than one chapter. Just the first, like, 14 verses of Genesis 3 describes the fall describes the essence of evil. And you see that right there in the first half of Genesis 3. And the essence of evil, at its root, evil is desiring anything more than you desire God. 
So it is enjoying something else more than you enjoy God. That is pure evil. And we have to think of it this way. We have to understand sin. I remember once, this is many years ago, but I was witnessing to a young lady and I was talking about sin. And she told me, she was like, well, I like my sin. Like she actually said it. I was like really pleased to hear someone be honest with me. And she says, sin is the spice of life. She said, that's what makes life interesting, and it makes life spicy, and I enjoy my sin. And she, of course, did not receive Christ that day. Um, And I was stunned. I remember thinking, I don't even know how to respond to this person. I think now I would say something like, so the spice of life is what has led to genocide has led to dictators who oppress their people when they starve to death and they live high and mighty in their palaces. The spice of life is what causes human trafficking. The spice of life was destroys families and makes fathers leave their children fatherless in the urban cities in our world that you just see so much brokenness and fatherless. The spice of life is what leads to addictions and darkness and disease and death. Sin is not the spice of life. Sin is the cause of all the darkness, depression, and brokenness in our world. It is an affront to God and His purpose for us. And it sends us to hell. And we deserve it. Sin, we can't toy with it. We can't play with it. It led to this fall of all the God-created good was corrupted and soiled and twisted because of it. And we, in our idolatry, in our brokenness, we desire things more than God. And that is the greatest evil known under the sun. And so the saddest day in the history of the world was when Adam, the head of humanity, rebelled against God and wanted something else more than God. And we, if we're honest, the Bible tells us that by our very nature and by our own choices, we choose to follow in Adam's example. And we too are sinful and we are rebellious. And we, if we're honest, desire our idols more than we desire the presence of God, which is violating his original purpose in the world. And so our rebellion has exiled us from the presence of God. So we are a sinful and broken people who are living in a world that is cursed by sin. And we, left to ourselves, none of us desire the presence of God. We desire the presence of our idols more. And it's devastating. And it leads to fear, guilt, and shame. This is what sin does. Sin breaks relationship because of guilt, shame, and fear. You saw it in the garden. The moment that they sinned, Adam and Eve, their eyes were open and they thought they were naked. Now in the Hebrew, by the way, the word naked and the word shame is the same word. So to be naked and to be ashamed is the same. Which is why, by the way, even today, in the, in the Middle Eastern context, they really cover up. A lot more than we do. Because in their thinking, to show any of your flesh, even like your ankles, is shameful. It's, it's disgraceful. And so 
we feel shame. So Adam was ashamed of what he did when he rebelled against God. But we also experienced fear. What did Adam do when God was coming to enjoy Adam's presence, to just be together and just see his children and enjoy them? Adam was hiding. He was afraid of God. Now there's fear of God, and then there's guilt. And that God condemned them and said, you are now guilty and banished him from his presence and put a flaming sword to keep us away from the garden back into his presence. And so that's what sin does. It destroys relationship. And if we're honest, it happens in our own families, in our marriages, in our friendships. When we sin, what happens to your relationship with your your spouse or your friends? It breaks a relationship. That's what sin does. So that's the story of fall. And then so there's creation, fall, redemption. Pretty much the whole Bible is the story of God redeeming. Genesis 3.15, all the way to Revelation 20. So almost the whole Bible takes up this third part of God's story. It describes a God who promises in the middle of our guilt and our shame, God says, I will send my Messiah who will crush the head of the serpent and then he will lead you back into the garden, back into my presence to fulfill your original purpose. And so that is already promised in in Genesis 3.15. And the whole Bible is God developing and showing and unfolding His story of redeeming rebels like you and me and recreating us, which is number three or number four, which is a new creation. See, He's already begun the redemption right now with Jesus coming, dying, resurrecting, and then making us new right now through the power of His Spirit. We are redeemed but we are not yet glorified. And so God is on mission. He's on mission rescuing and redeeming and renewing. Why we're calling ourselves Renewal Church, because this is what God does. He is renewing. So God himself, Jesus, came so that he can defeat sin, endure the curse itself, resurrect, and then bring us back into his presence and so that we can then fulfill our purpose of displaying His glory to all of creation. It always goes back to His original purpose. That's what we exist for. And we're waiting for this new creation, which is just the last two chapters of Revelation 21 and 22. And the Bible describes God making all things new being in His presence, in the garden, in the new earth for eternity, with our salvation complete. And so creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. This is the story of the Bible. This is what you can call the gospel in four words. This is something called biblical theology. There's a lot that we could talk about this, but our time will run out. I want to read to you one verse that captures all of this Very simply, John 17, verse 24. John 17, 24. This is what Jesus says. Father, so he's praying to the Father. Father, I desire. This is what Jesus wants. This is his plan. Father, I desire that they, who is they? His disciples, he's praying for them. His people. He says, Father, I desire that they whom you have given to me, So hear that. This is Jesus' desire for His people that belong to Him. 
Father, I desire that they whom you have given to me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me before, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Isn't that amazing? And you turn to past. Before he spoke anything into existence, he knew you, he loved you, he desired you, he wanted you to be with him. He says, this is my heart's desire, Father, that they would be close, right here, with me, enjoying me and displaying my glory. This is his desire. This is his prayer. This is why he would die from this prayer that next morning and be resurrected so that this could be our reality, so that we could be with him and see his glory. This is our purpose. And so with creation and fall, redemption and then new Creation. This describes the gospel. This is God's goal in history. It's moving somewhere. And it's moving for us to be magnifying the name of Jesus. And it's all about the manifestation of His glory. And His Spirit right now empowers us. He empowers our efforts to live lives that reflect who He is. And so through our thoughts, our affections, our words, our actions. So all of who we are, again, our thoughts our affections, our words, and then our actions, all of it is meant to be brought in line through His Spirit as we walk with His Spirit and hear His voice. He empowers us. He changes. We talked about last week. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. He's the one changing us so that we're brought in line with God's purpose and display His glory. And the Gospel here shows God's mission. And it's His mission, not ours. But we have a role in it. We have a role to play. So let's talk about our role in the mission of God. Talking about living on mission. We just read out of John 17. Turn the page and go to John 20. John 20, 21. This is that same era. This is now after the resurrection. John 20, 21. This is what Jesus says as he sees his followers. He says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. So he's resurrected. So they're a little bit freaked out. Like they saw him die. Now he's alive and he's with them. And he says, shalom. He says, peace. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So Jesus was sent. Now we are sent by Jesus. So God has a missional heart. Understand that God has a heart that beats fast for His mission to reach those that are far from Him, to bring them close to Him so that they can magnify His name and manifest His glory. And so just like Jesus was sent, we are now sent. His heart's missional. He's given us new hearts that are also missional. And so we have a missional calling. But this is important. We have more than a missional Calling. So we don't have less than a missional calling, but we have more than just a missional calling. What we have is a missional identity and purpose. This is who we are. Understand that we, we are not just called to the mission. 
We have been created for the mission. This is, this is at the essence of why we even exist. So when you live a life of being on mission, that missional living is a reflection of God's glory. Because God is missional. So when you're missional, you're reflecting Him. You're showing who He is. You're magnifying Him. It's part of being an image bearer. So this is what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus calls His disciples. He says, follow me and I will do what? Let you hang around and sit in worship gatherings and just go to church, right? He says, follow me and come sit, right? No, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The call to follow Jesus is immediately a call to go out and reach others so that they will also see the worth in who Jesus is and will give up their idols and come bow down to Jesus who is the source of joy and purpose and hope. This is what it means. And so, this, this is the power of the gospel. And so we are called to be proclaiming this and living our lives in light of the gospel. So God's goal is our goal. So His glory being displayed is our goal and it's our joy. That's what fills us with joy. So to join in God's goal is called glorifying God. And again, we do that by enjoying Him above all else. And the natural results of that from the Spirit working in our hearts is that we experience freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from our selfishness. Freedom from our own agendas. And then we're moved to do something. To seek the good for others. And so the result of this kind of living is love. So love is a primary way that we join in God's way of displaying His glory. We have hearts that now want to host 70 people in their house. Right, Karen? <laughs> as she, as she breathes into a paper bag. It's love that motivates us being on mission with our home groups reaching our neighborhood. Love for them. It is love that motivates us to say, who can I be praying for? Who can I be intentional to build a friendship with, to reach them with the gospel? Who can I bring them a home group? Because you love that person. And you want them to know Jesus because that's their purpose and joy and you want that for them. Your heart's now changed and it beats fast for them. So we love others. It's just natural outworking of the Spirit working inside of us. And there's two primary ways. We'll talk about it tonight and then more home groups in the next few weeks. You serve the church and you serve the world. You serve both. Neither is more important. They're both equally important. So when we're on mission, we're talking about serving the church and serving the world. So we'll have a discussion this coming... Well, no, that's not true. This week is Thanksgiving. So we have no home groups this week. Uh, tomorrow we're going to have a Thanksgiving meal. But there's no home groups this week. But uh, but next week we will have home groups, and we'll be discussing this these same topics of being on mission. And then in December we're going to have two more home groups. Um, we won't meet as a whole team, but we'll have home groups, and we'll be talking even more about serving the church and then serving the world um, over the next three weeks in our home groups. So let's consider for a few moments on what it looks like to be on mission by serving the church. 
Read with me in 1 Corinthians 12. So 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 19. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as he chose. Hear that. God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is written, there are many parts, yet one body. This is a powerful paragraph. I wish I had more time to really go into it more deeply. But I'll tell you this. This paragraph is in the middle of a larger section. So chapters 12, 13, and 14. Even 1 Corinthians 13, that is the love chapter that's read at weddings. And if that was read at your wedding, that's fine. I'm not trying to make fun of you. That's It's, it's about love. But, but the context is not romantic love. The context is love within the church, within the body, is the context for the love chapter. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 are a unit. talks about the church and our unique giftings and how the Spirit gives gifts. And there should be order in worship gatherings. And there's a whole lot that's in those three chapters. It's very important. But for our discussion at this moment... I want to focus on how we have many different parts and yet we're one body. And each one of us plays a unique role in God accomplishing His mission. So He's calling us to serve according to His design. Remember that, as He chose to arrange. And so we can have gift envy and say, Oh, I wish I had Katie's gifts that I could sing and lead worship. I don't have that gift. You don't want me to try to lead singing. Trust me, that's not going to bless your soul. <laughs> I could make a joyful noise to the Lord, but that's as far as I'm going to get. But God has given several of you that gifting. We're all unique in how He has made us. He arranged it as He chose. He is sovereign over how He's made you to fulfill His mission. You play your unique role in serving the church. And so I want to go through an acronym. I didn't invent this. It's pretty popular, but I want to talk about it tonight. It's called SHAPE, S-H-A-P-E. And it's there in your notes. God, through His Spirit, has uniquely shaped you for His mission. And so the S is spiritual gifts. So every one of you has been empowered by the Spirit, supernaturally and uniquely, to build up the body. So here in 1 Corinthians 12... That, that power, that chapter describes spiritual gifting. Also, Romans 12, if you're curious or want to do more study, Romans 12 also describes spiritual gifting and also Ephesians 4 in the middle of the chapter. And so those are the three main places. So Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4 describe different types of spiritual gifts. But we all play our role. And so God has given you unique spiritual gifting. Gifting, but he's also given you a heart. 
When I talk about heart, I'm, I'm talking about what you enjoy and what makes your heart beat fast. Just like everyone has a, an, an incredibly just unique heartbeat. So if, if I was in an EKG and you were and you were and you were, we'd all have a unique rhythm, a unique heartbeat. And that's true of us physically. It's also true of us the way he has made us, even in the spiritual sense, holistically, that you have a heart that beats fast for the mission. And so you may enjoy teaching children. Others of you do not enjoy teaching children. Others of you really enjoy, I don't know, all things sound or technical or your techies. Like you like it. You enjoy it. Others of you think you'll probably break it if you go anywhere near that equipment. And that's okay. Your your heart's going to beat fast in a unique way. So you have a particular heart. Things that you enjoy doing. That it's Sunday morning and you can't wait to go serve because you like it. The other one is A. That's your abilities. This is This is things that you're good at. These are your skills. And so maybe you have a unique skill set in any number of areas, whether it's you're an administrator, maybe you're good with numbers, be on the finance team, or maybe you, again, you have this skill technically or musically or teaching. There's many different just skills, or these are your abilities that God can use, and He's shaped you in that way. Peter's personality. So some of you are really quiet and reserved. And we're not going to put you on the greeting team. I'm just keeping it real. You're not allowed. Like, I'm sorry. That's not how God has shaped you. You can be on the soundboard. That's not, that's not a demotion. That's not a downgrade. It's just, it makes no sense. If your personality is a quiet, introverted, behind the scenes kind of person, there are ministries for people that are shaped that way by God's design. And others of you that you're outgoing and friendly and you want to go greet everyone, well, guess where you're going to be? We're going to make sure you're at the front door so that you greet people because that's how God has shaped you. That's your personality. And so how your shape matters is your experiences, what you've been through. Oftentimes the hard things, not just the educational or ministry, but sometimes even your painful experiences. God doesn't waste a hurt. He uses it for His glory. And so, how have you been shaped? Your spiritual gifts, your heart, your ability, personality, your experiences. God has taken all these different factors to shape you, to mold you, to be on mission for Him, and to accomplish your part in the mission that He's given to us. And it's shaped just like you. So I want you to do an exercise for me to get your mind around this. I want you to, you know, so off to the side, maybe write your name. Humor me. So just, just write your name. Somewhere in your notes, on the back or on the side, somewhere there, just write your name. All right. Now I want you to switch hands and use your off hand. Now if you're lefty, don't cheat. If you're lefty, use your right hand. So use your off hand and right next to your name, write your name again. Just write your name where you just wrote your name, just write it again with your other hand.
So what's happening? Here's what's happening. Three things are happening. I tell you right now. One is taking you longer to do it, right? Second, it was much harder to do it, right? Took you longer and it was harder. And lastly, you still did a terrible job. No. It took me a long time. So when when you are trying to write your name in a way that's not natural to you, it's harder it's uncomfortable, and you do a bad job. So in ministry, it's the same concept. If you are serving the church outside of your shape, if you're serving outside of how God has uniquely designed you, as we just read, according to God's purpose, His choosing. Remember that. It says that He's the one that chooses. And so He made you this way. And so we want you to find a way that you're going to serve that is consistent with who you are. So here's some homework. Because in, I guess it's in three weeks, when we meet as a home group, you're going to be talking about this for the whole evening, is your unique shape. And you're going to be talking within your home group what your shape is. What is your gifting? What is your heart, your abilities, personality, and some of your experiences. And then you're also going to talk that night about which ministry you're going to be a part of at Renewal Church. So on that night, you're, you're going to get a list, detailed the list of all the different ministry opportunities. This is not a checklist, all right? I want you to think of this as going to the grocery store. When you go to HUB, like how many of you go to HUB often? Uh, I see a lot of ladies' hands going up, but a few guys. Um, I, I see Daniel, they're proudly shaking and, and raising his arm. Like, I go to HEB all the time. So there's two general ways to go to HEB. You can go and just go in there randomly and go up and down the aisle and just pick a bunch of groceries that look kind of good. Now, if you do that and you go hungry, oh, God help you. Because you're, you're not going to get anything healthy likely. You're going to buy prepackaged stuff, I would imagine, and probably buy junk food because it looks good because you're hungry. And, and if you just go into the grocery store and you just are random, just picking all kinds of just stuff because it looks good, it, it, you may walk out with food, I'm not denying that, but it won't be efficient and it won't be the healthiest for your family. But on the other hand, what if you meal plan? What if you sit down before you go to HEB and you think about your family and your family's needs and your family's personality and and you're tailoring, okay, this week with four kids, it's like for the next three days, this big shop will cover like four days with the groceries. It's crazy. For these next several days, I'm going to think ahead on what are my family's needs and plan, and then when I get to the grocery store, I know what I'm getting. Like, I'm good. I already know exactly where I'm going and what I need to fulfill the purpose that I have for feeding my family well for this next several days. And so meal planning is more efficient. It's less frustrating. And you will walk out probably having spent less money. And it is overall a healthier approach than just random, just grabbing off the shelf. Same thing with ministries. There's a reason why tonight you don't have the list of ministries. Not because they don't exist. They do. 
But I don't want you to have the list tonight. I don't want you to just go shopping on this list. That's not the goal. I want you to meal plan. I want you to think. I want you to spend time in God's presence. I want you to take that sheet in front of you that has all the blanks on spiritual gifts, heart, ability, personality, experience. I want you to write down what your gifts are and your heart. What makes your heart beat fast? What would you enjoy doing? What are your abilities? And I want to spend time praying and asking the Spirit for His wisdom. And if you're stumped and say, I don't know what my gifts are, go to Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Pour over those passages over the next few weeks and ask the Spirit to reveal to you what your gifts are. And or meet with a fellow brother or sister and say, hey, what do you see in me? What, what, what gifting do you see in me? And I assure you, if that person has gospel and they know you, they'll tell you. They'll tell you because they know you. And sometimes we can see evidence of God's grace in others that we don't even see in ourselves. So what I'm saying is you have some homework right now to ask God to reveal to you what your shape is and that you will know with confidence how God has uniquely shaped you so that... When you get that list of ministries, you're going to know, that's it. That's the one. Or those are the two. Don't go beyond that. Don't pick more than two. You can have a primary ministry, and then you can be in a setup team. Pretty much that's everyone's going to be on the setup team. <laughs> we're, we're a mobile church, so yes, you're on the setup team. But that's your secondary ministry. There has to be a... Unless you love that, and that becomes a primary, that's fine. But unless you love setting up, that's your secondary. But pick one that you feel God has led you to where you're going to be excited based upon your shape. So here's a timeline for, for ministries. Over the next few weeks, you think, you pray, you see God's face. Then, in December, you will begin talking to your home group leader and or me. And we'll know where you're going to serve. And here's the assumption you're going to serve. Like, the assumption is that you will be in a ministry. You're, no one in here is going to just hang out. Like, that isn't the point. The point is this is part of who we are. Being a mission is our identity. So it's not where, it's not if, but where are you going to serve? And then we'll, we'll know that by December, and then in January, we'll start training you for that specific ministry so that you're ready in April when we launch. So that's where we're headed, and everyone's going to have the joy of serving the church. All right, serving the world. Our time is going to run out, so we need to go fast. But this is important. I'm thankful for home groups where we can discuss this and go deeper and keep talking about it in the weeks to come. Serving the world is both local and global. Acts 1.8, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. He comes, He empowers us, and He says, go to where? Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then ends of the earth. Same thing can be applied here. Start in Bell County, and then what? Texas, and then United States, and then ends of the earth. This is what Jesus is describing. So being released into the world begins with being released into Bell County, here and now. Now, we will have global missions. That's coming as part of Renewal Church. But here initially we're talking about how we're going to be on mission here locally. So daily life with missional intentionality. 
That's the point here. John chapter 4 describes Jesus leaving Judea and he's heading north to Galilee and he goes past Samaria first. He stops at a town and it's lunchtime. He sends his disciples to go to Chick-fil-A because it wasn't Sunday. And, and they're going to go get food and he sits at a well as he's waiting for the food to come. And a woman comes who is far from God and they have a conversation. And it's amazing how Jesus listens to her and he gets to know her and this conversation and then he shares who he is. He shares the gospel with this woman. He talks about how he is living water and can satisfy her soul. And then she runs off saying, I just met the Messiah. I've just met the Christ. And now she's on mission immediately telling the town. Disciples come back. And they're like, hey, we got some food. And, and they hand it to Jesus. And Jesus is eating. And they're like, Jesus, what's wrong? You should eat. It's lunchtime. And here's what Jesus tells his disciples when they're trying to give him food. John 4, let's pick up in verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Already one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap. Hear that? He sends us. I sent you to reap. For that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Powerful passage about being on mission. And we'll study more uh, next week uh, when we meet as home groups. And so you see here that Jesus' passion is fulfilled God's purpose. He says, His food. So His fuel, His energy. He's empowered. He's like, my food is to fulfill the mission of God. To do the will of God. And so we are energized. We're fueled. We're empowered by the mission when we enjoy Jesus and have the yearning to fulfill His purpose. And so we also see in this text the, the nature of the mission. That it's a miraculous work of God. Because the way it normally works is you plant, you have to wait four months to, to harvest, like normal, right? Like you plant, in the, I guess, in the spring and you harvest in the fall. It takes several months. But here Jesus says that you can harvest immediately. So he's saying it's not natural, it's supernatural. So God's mission doesn't follow what you would think are normal conventions, but it's the supernatural, miraculous work of God with your immediate harvest. Because it's God's work. But we have a role to play in God's work. We're the ones in the harvest. We're the ones that are reaping. He brings the increase. He does the miraculous and these harvests that, that can be immediate. And yet, He sends us into the field to be laboring for His kingdom. And you also see that it's community. It's not just individual. He says reapers. And so those that are collecting and sowing. And so some of us might sow seeds. Others may, may see the harvest. But what's more important? 
the one who sows and waters or harvests, they're all equally important. It's the same farming process. It's still God who's at work. and We just play our role and we do it together. And he mentions here rejoicing together. There's a togetherness with being in the field laboring with the gospel. So we're on mission together and we rejoice. It brings us joy. Jesus was on mission. He's just walking. He meets a lady and he's on mission. And it is our calling to have all of our lives with missional intentionality. So we all have rhythms of life. We all eat 21 meals a week, right? Give or take. I would say roughly you have about 21 meals a week. What if you said, Jesus, I'm going to give you one. One of those 21 with missional intentionality. To, to use that meal so that you can build a friendship or share the gospel or in some capacity, gospel-centered influence. We all go to restaurants or coffee shops. We all have neighbors. We all have our comings and goings in our rhythms. And so again, we'll talk about that more in a home group in the next, next few weeks. But the, the reality of using our regular life as being on mission. Now, that doesn't add on to your busy life. But using your life, your normal just patterns and rhythms with missional intentionality. So here's what you do. I put here, listen. When you're talking to someone who doesn't know Jesus, you listen. Listen to what? Learn their story. Like Jesus did. He talked to her. He got to know her. He engaged her. And so just before you plow in on you're a sinner, you need Jesus. Which, that's true. But before you get there, listen to them. Listen to their heart and engage with them as a person. Jesus knew her need because he listens to her. Now, he's Jesus. I know he's God. But the example is of engaging and listening. So the same pattern in the gospel, creation, fall, redemption, new creation. So creation, be listening as they speak on where is this person finding their identity and their sense of purpose. Be listening carefully. What do they give their heart to? Where is the primary joy being found? So their sense of identity and purpose, that's what they're created for. So be listening of what they're describing and what their heart beats fast for. And then fall. So what are they struggling with? What is their problem? Or what's, what is happening in their life where they really are struggling? Be listening for how the fall has affected them. But then, redemption. As you're listening to who they are and what they're struggling with, Jesus has the solution. He is the hope. He is the Savior. That's why he, he talked about being living water, because he engaged with her in a way that she could understand, because she was at a well drying up water. He was like, I am living water. And so there's different ways to share the gospel, but it starts with listening to them and knowing where they're at and how Jesus meets their eternal need, but even their felt need. And then new creation. Remember, only Jesus can make that person new. You can't save them. You can't argue them into the kingdom. You just share the gospel and the Spirit does His work. So basically, just listen to where the person is at and share the gospel after you've gotten to know them and have a relationship. And then listen to the Holy Spirit. 
Just be in tune with Him. I mean, if you've never shared the gospel with someone who doesn't know Jesus, then I'm sorry, but you just don't know. You don't know what it feels like to be empowered in that moment. And maybe right now you're afraid to think, I've never done that. I can't do that. Well, no, you can't in your power. But it's not in your power. It's the power of the Spirit who was in you. And, and so it, it's, it's hard to even put it into words, but there's this emboldening. There's this power and the right words come to your mouth and you're like, oh, I did that. You're like, yes, you did. The Spirit did it through you. And so, but it just takes faith and trust in God that He can use you. Be listening to the Spirit and He'll give you the words. He'll lead you into all truth as Jesus promised. And then you can tell your personal story. Tell your story. But I put it here, your gospel-infused story. You don't just tell your story. You tell your story with the gospel interwoven. And there's three parts to your story. One is before you knew Jesus. So talk about who you were before you knew Jesus, what you struggled with, what your life was like, what your fears were, what your anxiety was, what your struggles were. Just describe who you were before you knew Jesus. And then talk about number two, you're coming to Jesus. So how did you come to Jesus? Who told you about Jesus? Where were you? But don't just talk about, and I came to know Jesus, because if a person is lost and you say, and I came to Jesus, they're thinking, where did you find him? Like, what do you mean I, you came to Jesus? You have to tell them. Here's where you share the gospel. You say, and Jesus came into this world, and he lived a perfect and sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for my sins, and he was buried. But on the third day, he was resurrected and is alive. Today, he defeated sin and offers forgiveness, and I believed that. So you're sharing the gospel while you're sharing your story. And so you're pointing to who Jesus is and what he did, but you're also doing it in the context of your story. So you're infusing the gospel into your personal story. And this is powerful. This is the, this is, this is the kind of training that we do when you're going to go on a mission trip overseas. And yet, why don't we do it here? We should be doing it here. And in faith, that you know what's going to happen, that you're going to need it. Because you're going to meet people that don't know you, because you're going to be more intentional. So you have homework. You have homework to write out your gospel-infused personal story of who you were before you knew Jesus, how you came to Him, why you share the gospel, make it clear of Jesus coming, you trusted in Him, and He has saved you, and then lastly, who you are today because of Jesus. And connected back to the first point on what you struggle with and how he helps you with that now. Who you were, who you, how you came to faith, and who you are now because of Jesus. You'll write this out and you're going to practice it and learn it. And then in your home group in a few weeks, you're going to share it. And we're all going to do it. And so the home group is going to be pretty much the whole evening of sharing your gospel story with your home group and giving each other pointers to say, oh, that's that's great. I like your story, but you didn't ever mention trusting in Jesus. Like, like, like you forgot to mention that part. Like, oh yeah, I'm sorry. And then and then you can and you can improve it. And so we're gonna be nice to each other, but we are going to help each other to have a gospel centered story 
that points to people being able to come to faith in Christ as well. So you'll be practicing that in your home group in a few weeks. So this is all training. Thinking about where you're going to be serving the church and serving the world. So that's where we're headed. So don't blow this off, this homework, on serving the church and serving the world. Really spend some time before God thinking about this and preparing your story of, again, who you were before, how you came to faith, and who you are today. So as we close, wrap up. On mission in community. Living out. So you see it in your notes, there's arrows pointing out. So a living out. This is getting to know our neighbors and friends and co-workers with the purpose of influencing them with the gospel. So a intentional going out to meet people and yet also a inviting in. It's both. We also invite them in to meet your home group. Invite them to come to a Thanksgiving fellowship. Invite them to come to a Christmas Eve service. Invite them to an event with your home group, a meal or whatever it is. And so inviting in where they can experience belonging. And in this belonging, they will believe in Jesus. And we do this together. We live out and invite in together. Where you pray for your lost friends, you encourage each other. And we have events as home groups to reach out in our communities. So my prayer is that Renewal Church will truly be a missional community that is reaching out into the true brokenness and darkness of Bell County so that they will come and join us in praising our Savior Jesus.